Well, hello, guys and gals. This is Christian Massar with another episode of Historical Thoughts and Interpretations. And this is a the third podcast, and uh, so far, <laughs> I must say, I'm really enjoying the uh, podcast uh, system there with with a little bit of um, technical difficulties and getting the podcast to work. We've been able to work it out and everything like that, so it's uh, it's all good. Um, so this podcast is is linked to the previous one, the second number two, where I talked about the power of ideas. I introduced that ideas can be very very powerful and they they can cause they can cause great harm. So they they're far they're far from idle thoughts, and. I use the example of Patriarch Nikon's reforms of the Russian Orthodox Church in the 17th century to, to illustrate how powerful ideas can be. Um, however, you know, I took a bit of a dark side, a dark analysis there. And so ideas can cause great harm, of course, as we talked about in that podcast, but they can also, ca- they can also do a lot of good. Uh, so, you know, we don't want to forget that uh, even though we should be responsible with ideas, you know, ideas can be both good and bad. And, but today I want to talk about why ideas are so powerful. And of course, I'm just, this is just a little podcast episode. It's going to be like maybe 10 minutes long. And I'm sure that other historians and, you know, philosophers have thought about this question for centuries. And so my little episode here won't, (laughs) will barely scratch the surface of, of what has been written about this. But I do have an answer for, to this question. Why are ideas so powerful? Simply, they work. Ideas work. An idea is an explanation of how the world operates or how it should operate. If an idea is considered correct, it will be accepted by people. And if it is considered incorrect, it will be rejected. So this is why two people can look at the same thing and come up with two totally different conclusions. For, for example, let us consider the idea of whether or not there is a God. You know, totally hypothetical people in this example. You know, imaginary people here. So, Joe will gather his evidence. He'll observe the natural world. He'll look at history and do whatever investigation he needs to do. Let's say that this person ultimately believes that there is no God. So, Joe becomes an atheist. He may decide... To be an atheist because he cannot see a higher being in action. He can't see any evidence of God or any kind of higher being at work in his life or or throughout the world. And also throughout history, he has seen many evil acts performed without God's prevention. So God did not prevent an evil thing from happening. Or perhaps an even more uh, potent ex- uh, potent reason for atheism for Joe is is that he sees religious people doing evil things in the name of their religion. He looks at uh, Islamic terrorism. He looks at the Christian crusades. He looks at cults. He, he looks at these things, so he dismisses religion as evil or, or useless for him. So for Joe, atheism makes sense. But on the other hand, Ashley, of course, another hypothetical imaginary person, will look at the same evidence and believe in a god. She may see nature's complexity and an apparent design behind it. She cannot possibly believe it had appeared all by chance. A god had to have created it. And if she's coming at, if she approaches the idea of God from a Christian viewpoint, she would believe that nature shows God's invisible, invisible attributes and divine nature. She will look in the Bible 
Romans chapter 1. She sees these. She sees this idea. She sees nature as a reflection of God's existence and of God's power. And this passage in the Bible, Romans chapter 1, also tells Ashley that people had chosen to ignore God, bringing sin and evil into the world. Ashley, like Joe, acknowledges that evil acts have been done in history, and both by non-religious and religious people. But she will also see the good things that have been done in the name of religion, and that there is justice in the world. The Christian idea of hell and eternal judgment convinces her of this. In Ashley's mind, Christianity has successfully explained the world to her, and it fits what she observes. So this is what makes the idea of Christianity work for Ashley. So we see how two different people will have a completely different conclusion from the same evidence. So atheism works for Joe, but not for Ashley. Religion works for Ashley, but not for Joe. So that's, that's the example I'm using here. Now, if we look at communism, communism made sense to many people because it explained their situation. During the French colonial rule of Vietnam, Vietnamese nationalists accepted communism. Lenin's ideas of imperialism seemed to define the French overlords, who replaced Vietnamese institutions with French ones, and they created a situation in French janitors were paid more than Vietnamese scholars. So the poor went hungry, and Richard Allen uh, suggested that hunger was the quote-unquote eternal seedbed of communism. Communism promised peasant emancipation from the upper classes and equality for all. Messages like this were attractive to poor Vietnamese people under the yoke of the rich and powerful French. But communism did not work for everybody. In Siberia and the Russian Far East, communism was not immediately accepted in the early 20th century. For one, these regions were isolated and lines of communication were poor, so the spread of ideas was not as not as quick as it would be in St. Petersburg and Moscow and other major centers in the western part of Russia. But more importantly, communism fell on deaf ears in the East because the proletariat, who, you know, the group of people that communism was supposed to attract the most, the proletariat here were too independent. And, you know, this is a common trait for people on the frontier. And the proletariat were actually quite wealthy in their own right. The East was also full of anti-communists, such as monarchists and Cossacks. Though they were eventually brought to heel, communism did not work, at least initially, for the Eastern Russians. They had no oppressive landlords to overthrow, they were independent because they had to be where they lived, and they were also doing quite well for themselves, considering. So they did not feel the need to rush into the arms of communism for salvation like the Vietnamese did. So that's, uh, that's it for this podcast, and um, I, I know it's a very, very short one, but I hope it was uh, enjoyable and informative, and we shall see you next time.